The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Cooley's here. I am here. Uh, Cooley didn't do a film breakdown for the show today, he just told me. But I'm sure we've got plenty to talk about today on this Friday Veterans Day uh, 2022. Happy Veterans Day to all the veterans and thanks to all of the veterans that have fought in our wars. It's much appreciated. Uh, I have actually some Veterans Day trivia for you. Would you like to hear my Veterans Day trivia? I would love to. And also... Thank you to all the veterans. I mean, really, you guys are amazing. Amazing. Thank you. Yes. Uh, the oldest living veteran from World War II is Raymond Monroy. He's 110 years old, uh, 110, 183 days beyond the 110th year to be exact. Um, and the last World War I veteran died in 2011. I was wondering, you know, how many if any, World War I veterans were still alive. And, and I, I did kind of the back of the envelope math in my, uh, in my mind to say, well, there can't be actually a World War I veteran still alive. And no, there aren't. The last one passed uh, in 2011. So there you go. Um, also, a little bit of Veterans Day trivia for you, Christopher. Uh, on this day 35 years ago, 1987, November 11th, Veterans Day. Washington, D.C. had its biggest November snowstorm ever. 11 and a half inches at National Airport. It wasn't called Reagan Airport because Reagan was still the president in 1987. Uh, but in the eastern and southern suburbs of, you know, PG County and other counties east and south of town, 14 to 18 inches of snow. Chris, I remember that day so well. It was a total stunner. You know how it doesn't happen as much anymore with weather because usually the short-term forecasts, they've the, the the technology is now such that they really don't blow a forecast within like 24 hours. I mean, occasionally it'll rain a little bit more than it was supposed to, or it'll rain a little bit less, or snow a little bit more, snow a little bit less, or the temperature might be off a degree or two. But on this day 35 years ago, the only thing that was forecasted was cold rain. 
And when I went to sleep that night, after being out very late at night um, with friends and uh, a specific friend in in particular, um, and woke up the next morning and walked out of this apartment over in Rockville, by the way, that's where the apartment was, uh, I walked out to like a foot of snow on the ground. It was a total shocker. No one forecasted it. One of the biggest forecasting busts in D.C. history. They just had rain in the forecast, and we ended up with between a foot and a foot and a half of snow. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I think everybody that just listened to what you said wants to know who the specific friend was. <laughs> you know how some like some days you just kind of know specifically you know, who you were with, what you were doing on those days. Yeah, who was it? Um, I'm not going to mention her name. Oh, okay. Um, oh, okay. But she was she, she was like a friend, kind of a friend, maybe a little bit more than a friend. Jamie. It was Jamie. It was, it was not Jamie. Jamie. It was not Jamie. No, it wasn't Jamie. But we can refer to her as Jamie as we do almost any girl we run into when we're just out and about. Hey, Jamie. How you doing, Jamie? That's Cooley's hey, Jamie. I mean, when we were at when we were at your bachelor party up at the um, at the Borgata, it was Jamie that weekend. Every everybody was Jamie that weekend. Hey, Jamie, that was a fun weekend. It was a fun weekend. By the way, fun weekend with you two weekends ago. Yeah, we had a good time. And then I had two weekends that were also interesting, fun, or one. You so I didn't do a film breakdown because I told you I was going to have to miss Wednesday, which is the day I normally do a film breakdown. I didn't know you wanted one today, but it wouldn't have really mattered because I got home at 9 o'clock after driving 10 hours through a freaking blizzard in Montana. Well, I told everybody that you weren't there on Wednesday because you had to go to North Dakota for some reason. That's it, what you... It is almost North Dakota. It's also almost Canada. You can look up Plentywood, Montana. That's where we were. So you Plentywood. Weren't... Plenty wood. You think, and if you, well, you were looking this up. If you have any vision of Wyoming as like no man's land, mm-hmm. oh, northern Montana, northeastern Montana is my God, no man's land. Plenty wood, and we stayed in Sydney, Montana. Yeah, but so you weren't going to North Dakota. Well, I thought we were going to North Dakota just because of my lack of understanding of small towns and geography in the region. Gotcha. I see plenty. I see plenty wood. It's in the far you're, you're northeastern. From North yeah, right. Yeah, you're, you're next to North Dakota. Right. May as well have been. And why did you go there again? I don't know if you really care. Uh, there's a, a guy, equipment that we wanted, uh, insulation, blow-in machine and yeah, trailer, I don't, I don't and a, bu- a bunch of other stuff, because we're building all this stuff, and we were looking at this equipment, and now, long story short, even if we wanted it, it wasn't ready, which I'm not really sure why it wasn't, because I drove seven hours to Plentywood and eight or nine hours back, and it would have been nice if we wanted it to pull it back. And you did call me so, yesterday, or, or we talked from the road, and you said that you were basically at a casino playing slots because there's a raging blizzard outside. Yeah, we had to wait a couple hours. We drove through I-90 on Montana. Barely one lane. Snow everywhere. It was, a, it was an interesting drive. I think that's we had enough 
traveling and driving, and that's why I haven't been on with you because I was with you. And then we drove to Colorado Springs with the family, mm-hmm. turned around, and I was home one day, and then this thing came up where we had to go look at this stuff. Whew. I mean, that is, I've decided if I'm going to look at equipment or anything else, I'm going to pick Las Vegas. <laughs> Somewhere fun. Not Plentywood. <laughs> what, the temperature in Plentywood right now is four below zero. <laughs> it was super-duper cold there. And it's cold here, though. It's like five degrees I, in I where see, I'm at. I see that right now. It's ten. It says it's 10 degrees in Powell, Wyoming, uh, heading down it to below like, zero it today. It feels like springtime. It feels like springtime compared to Plentywood. <laughs> um, God, man, you just—I think that you get a little—you start to get humidity once you get to the eastern side of Montana. You get humidity. You start to get into it at four below North zero. North Dakota has humidity. Uh, you get humidity in Virginia when it's four below, right? There's a little bit more water in the air. There is. I think so. I'm—I'm I'm not sure, but I—I I think so. Yeah. I didn't. There's a, there's more of a chill in the air. Well, I don't think – I could be wrong about this. I think negative four can be very dry and low humidity. I mean, with great – It with, can, but not – I mean, where I live, it's, it's zero humidity at negative four. I know, but but you, you implied that in Plentywood, for some reason, that negative four was a very humid ne- negative four. No, I, would, I, wouldn't, I didn't say very humid. Here, okay. I'll say this. Yeah. Real feel seems colder in Plentywood than it did in Powell, Wyoming. Well, when there is, when there's, you know, cold temperatures that are damp cold feel colder than dry cold. Just like, you know, humidity with heat feels hotter than a dry heat. It's the same thing, I think. Exactly. Yeah. Now you're on to it. <laughs> now I'm there. Uh... <laughs> Is is it a pretty uh, God, man? I love you know I love blizzards and blizzards. It, wasn't, it would be a pretty drive if it wasn't a whiteout blizzard both ways. Yeah. And the funny thing is, is you mentioned the weatherman, and you, you, I mean, normally they're not off. I don't think they were, but my friend who was supposed to check the weather said, "I don't think it's going to snow." He did really, and I think he just lied because I think he wanted to go, and I believed it. Uh, how bad, so was the driving that bad? I drove like 40 miles an hour for 200 miles. Oh, man. 990. Wow, it was that bad. It was awesome. 40 miles per hour. Well, for a long way, yeah. You know, and and the snow's out there. There's there's parts, so there's a bunch of it where you can't really pass. The other side of the road is four inches of snow on the interstate. They hadn't plowed it. And it's it's blowing and drifting too because you're you know that's what it does out west when there aren't big buildings to stop thing to stop the snow from blowing around and wind right. Anyways, that's why you. I mean, this is a legitimate excuse. Mm-hmm. I, I hate excuses. It's not an excuse. It's a legitimate reason why I have not performed a film breakdown. Also, uh, in Plentywood, you're in extended service. So you're not really watching all 22. It doesn't. It, I mean, no, no, no. Just loading a web page takes 30 seconds. Right. I know. Um, understood. But you, so that, you that's where we are. I'm so, home now, and so you didn't watch you, any. You called me while I was playing Buffalo Run Casino slots because that was all we had to do. Yeah, you didn't win any money, did you? 
I I didn't, but we, I went with two guys, and both of them did. One won nine hundred, and the other one won five hundred. Mm. I lost four hundred. So netting it out, you didn't watch any football. You do know what happened in the Washington Minnesota game, don't you, or not? Do you know anything about the game? Would you Minnesota like Minnesota won the game? I'm aware of that. Right, but do you do you know anything about how they won the game? They scored more points. Well, yeah, I, I understand that. Washington. No, I did. I I swear. I literally watched, I watched no football until last night. I caught the last 10 minutes of the Panthers game. <laughs> Terrible game. Terrible. Terrible game. Yeah. Which actually will lead me into some of what, the, some of the, the predictions for this game. But, yes, not a great game. I, I had the Panthers last night, bought the half point, and played them plus three. Um, but, in, you know, the, the fun- How bad was Marcus Mariota? The funny thing is he hasn't been that bad this year. You know, no. you, your guy Arthur Smith has really schemed up some good stuff. I would suggest to you that Carolina's got some really good defensive players. Like that Derek Brown is a monster. They're all, they, he God. was amazing in that game. Yeah. Amazing. But I would suggest to you that Marcus Mariota, somewhere along the week, watched some Kansas City Chiefs film and said, I can do this Mahomes stuff mm-hmm. because all of his picks were weird off script throw across your body. I mean, the one where he was rolling and hit the ground was amazingly bad. It was, I mean, that was terrible. Right. So what was he doing? I don't know. Why are we going to force it? I, I want to go back to telling you. Saying? It was a football game. I, yeah, I know, it but was a football game that I watched. But Washington had a se- Washington had a seventeen to seven lead in the fourth quarter over the Vikings. They were about to go yeah, to Kirk five Cousins, and four. Comeback, Kirk. Well, captain, captain, comeback, Kirk Cousins. But uh, the they, I'm telling you, Cooley, because we have not really talked uh, football for for a week or so. They are so good defensively right now. I mean, they're a really, really good defensive football team. And that's going to give them a chance in a lot of these games the rest of the way. I think it is. I mean, you what, here's something you don't know about the game. Benjamin St. Juice, who you like a lot, number 25, they had him star coverage on Justin Jefferson during this game. I, I don't think they do that that much. So, you know, th- number one is he was great in coverage, even though Jefferson seven catches 115 yards and a touchdown. I mean, he had a big game, but every single catch with the exception of one of them was contested. There were several of them that he broke up. He caused an interception on the last play of the first half on a throw that was really a good throw, giving Jefferson a one-on-one chance in the end zone. The ball got deflected by St. Juice and intercepted by Danny Johnson. Um, that's one of the uh, takeaways from the game is just how how much they trust St. Juice. Deron Payne had four tackles for loss in the game. Right now, Cooley, in the NFL, in the tackles for loss, uh, and I, re- I, I, I gave this these stats on Monday, um, and they've been updated. But John Allen is number three in the league in TFLs. Deron Payne's number four in the league, tied for fourth. Uh, by the way, I'm curious as to what you think about that stat because the names of the players that are high up on the list, Zadarius Smith, Max Crosby, Matt Judon, Brian Burns, Von Miller, Micah Parsons, Daniil Hunter, Grady Jarrett. 
What does a lot of TFLs tell you, especially when we're talking about defensive ends or defensive tackles? When you're talking about defensive tackles, I think it means a couple things. One, it means the guy plays with a lot of violence and he plays on the other side of the line of scrimmage. And he's capable of doing that because he's a freak athlete. You can't continue to play with violence on the other side of the line of scrimmage if you're not an exceptional athlete and very strong. The other thing it tells me is he is a a really intelligent football player at the tackle because in a lot of these situations, the tackles are really, really gap-responsible players. And sometimes playing out of gap or playing through gaps can get you in trouble. Right. So he understands when and where he's capable of making these plays without getting out of place, which is great. I, I, I mean, but it's Aaron Donald stuff. It's you, you, what we talked about Carolina, the guy from Carolina, Brown did it last night. Yeah, Derek Brown. You're really able to play with great leverage. You play with great hands. And you're a very smart player who understands where the ball's going to cut. Ron Payne's amazing right now. I mean, and Allen's, Allen's phenomenal. And he's great. And Holcomb's been playing better. And uh, I mean, and because of Payne, finally, you get Jamin Davis, who's really played well in the last three or four weeks. I think a lot of it stems from Payne and Allen, though. Definitely. I mean, Holcomb hasn't played the, the last two weeks, he may not play this week either. No, not the last two, but the, the two before that. Yeah, terrific. Right. I didn't see the Minnesota game. I know. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I guess, you know, I said the other day, um, I'm pretty sure he said it on the podcast, that their defense right now is the best either side of the ball has been in six years. Like, the defense right now is the best that either the offense or the defense has been since the 2016 offense, which was, you know, the Kirk, Pierre, Deshaun, Jordan Reed, Chris Thompson, etc. when they literally could not be stopped at times offensively that year. That's how dominant and good the, the defense has been. They're the number two rush defense in the NFL per the DVOA metric. They are a top three. I think they're third in the league in third down defense. And the thing about it is, so this morning, Michael Phillips from the Richmond Times-Dispatch said to me the following, which I thought was really interesting, and and I think he's spot on. He said, Ron Rivera told us, um, you know, during the offseason as they chased down a quarterback, that they were basically a quarterback away from being, you know, a, a really good team that could contend for a period of time and everybody rolled their eyes and said you had one of the worst defenses in the league last year and you know finding that quarterback isn't but he said you know during that offseason he said we've got really good skill position players we've got a lot of talent on defense now the one thing he overstated was how good the offensive line was because without Sheriff and Eric Flowers and by the way Chase Rie at center it's been a really bad offensive line but the truth is, he's not that far off. Their defense is growing into a dominant defense. Uh, and, and I don't think it's coincidental, coincidental that they started to play better when Cam Curl came back, when they got rid of Jackson, when they you know let go of Sam Mills, the defensive line coach, during training camp. 
Uh, all of those things, you know, they got around to, to, to getting done, but it's a dominant defense right now. And they really are like a, a really good quarterback and a couple of guards, and they're going to be, you know, a, a 9-10 win team. They're, but, you know, fi- that's easier said than done, clearly. You know, fi- they might be an 11-12 win team. With a quarterback? Like you said, it's easier said than done. With the quarterback? Yeah. I mean, who else is a yeah. quarterback away? I mean, when you look around the league, the Jets, the Jets right now are, appear to be a quarterback away. The Jets are a quarterback away, but they're developing a quarterback. The Colts might have been a quarterback away. The Patriots are probably a quarterback away. Carol, Carolina's offense and defense is their defense is really good. Potentially, they're a quarterback away. Uh, let's see, Saints. Who else you got? That's Saints. The, who else you got? Saints are one hundred percent a quarterback away. I mean, and then you look at the teams that have got one in the last few years, like the Eagles were a quarterback way, and they have a great one, and now all of a sudden they're exceptional. I mean, it's uh, no, everyone's a, everyone that's not good, uh, you can take 10 teams right Cleveland, now and, Cleveland. and give them Patrick Mahomes. Cleveland, and they're still, they're still that's hanging in there. Yeah, Cleve, Cleveland's the one, and we'll see what Deshaun Watson looks like, but their roster is pretty outstanding you know, minus the QB position. But any, yeah. anyway, the, the, the point... You know, also, Pittsburgh might be a quarterback away. The, the yeah. Broncos thought they were a quarterback away. The Broncos, I know. that Their defense is really I, good. The, the, Fal- the, the Falcons might be a legit quarterback away. Yeah. I think the 49ers are absolutely... And I think the 49ers still have a chance to win a lot of games this year. I think the 49ers have a chance to go to the Super Bowl, really, when you look at what they are. And Garoppolo's a very good player, but they might be a quarterback away from being a dynasty team. Uh, so it's I, I yeah, totally they've built, the they've built a good defense. They've built a good defense. Yeah, and that's and without I Chase Young. They have enough skill players, but a quarterback away is essentially four games, four wins away. It's a big difference. A quarterback away is, is a is a lot away. Yeah, no, I, I understand that. I understand that. I I I wish. You know, we, we certainly had um, a remark from our good friend Sabah who said, you only do film breakdown of Heineke when he does poorly, um, which actually I think the opposite of that is true because you're not doing film breakdown of him this week, and you did do one after the Green Bay game in the second half he had. Um, but I – and he didn't play well Sunday at all. He threw a, a, a really bad pick and um, and whatever. I mean, they, they also uh, – you know, they also um, – you know, had offensive line issues again uh, on Sunday, and a lot of people are blame, blaming Scott Turner big time. I'm I'm not blaming him big time, but I didn't think he had a great day the other day. But anyway, it I can't talk to you about the game on Sunday because you don't know anything about the game other than what I've told you about the game, which is fine. We'll take what you know when you know it, whenever you have it for us, and be thankful. Um, I think you should just continue to belabor the fact that I don't, that I didn't watch the game. <laughs> well, Other than doing this podcast with you, I care nothing about. I know you don't, but you've been, but you've been watching some games, but you had a lot of different things going on the last, it's been a busy couple of weeks for you. You know, you were here. I have the, stayed in hotels in five different, there are four different states in the last two weeks. Virginia, Maryland, Montana, and? Colorado, and five, five states. I've stayed in hotels in Wyoming as well. Colorado and Wyoming. There you Traveling go. Traveling to Colorado. Five states. I've stayed in a hotel across the country. Big, 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 
two weeks for me. Yeah. Ready to be home in the cold. I, mean, I, I went. I did stop in Billings, Montana, uh, at Costco on the way home. I bought myself a new television. You did. What did you get? My main living room. I just got a seventy-inch Samsung cheap version. Or, I mean, none of they're not cheap, cheap, but. What did, the, what did it cost you? What did the seventy-inch uh, Samsung cost you? Uh, let me let me guess. Like sixteen hundred bucks. I was just going to guess fifteen hundred. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I I've been through enough TVs over the last five years that I I, I don't notice enough difference. Did Did you stop at the Chick Fil A? Did they open the Chick Fil A in Billings yet? No, no, I did not stop at the Chick Fil A. Ah. Wow, you got to go all the way to Billings, Montana for Chick Fil A when you're out there. It's wonderful. Um, what do you want to talk about today? <laughs> do you want to talk about some of the games this weekend? Well, I, 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 I'm prepared to talk about what is going to happen on Monday night. But I don't know if you want to wait till Monday, which I'll do with you on Monday. Well, we can do that today if you want. Maybe we do a little bit today and a little bit on Monday because. I was thinking that if you came on with me on Monday, we could talk about all the games. We could talk about all the games from Sunday that you may or may not watch. Uh, that we can do that. Uh, we could talk about your your genres if you wanted to do that. <laughs> I don't want to talk about our genres. I don't want to talk about that. We, we we that was you know just a short brief conversation on the golf course where one of the people we were playing with said that they were into hidden camera. The, the hidden camera genre, which really made you and the two of us laugh out loud. And then you then you belittled him for it. Well, you asked him what he was into. He kind of offered it up. I didn't ask him what he was into. We, it, somehow the conversation came up and just this particular person just blurted out, yeah, I'm into hidden camera. <laughs> like, And you and I just both laughed at the same time. Hidden camera just seems a little sketchy. I mean, it's, it's just, uh, is voyeurism any different than hidden camera? And he said, "Not really." Yeah. Uh, how was it? I think it is. How was it different? Well, it's all. Isn't it all voyeurism? But the voyeurism would be like somebody else. Like somebody else is watching you. Hidden cameras, like you hit a camera and you didn't tell anybody. Yeah, but I thought voyeurism is essentially getting some level of gratification from watching I'm without watching those out. who are watching knowing that you're watching. I could be wrong. I don't. Well, I mean, I think you're right. I think it's just <laughs> whose eye are you watching it through? You know, are you watching it through the voyeur's eye or the hidden camera eye? <laughs> yeah, it's just it's it's which lens is it? It's basically a lens difference. Who who is who is actually pushing play on the lens? <laughs> I think is what defines the difference. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I'm not sure. We, we those, a, are, those are neither of our genres. We had a we had a great time on the golf course. Um, a lot of laughs, and uh, and the first day that we played, it was a beautiful day. The second day we played, it was nasty, kind of rainy, kind of chilly, um, and was a slog, as they say. But we got through it. Uh, all right, I do have some NFL-related questions, and we can talk about some of the games on Sunday. Plus, I have a smell test for the weekend, uh, and we'll get to some of those things. And we'll get Cooley's take if he's been following the uh, the, the storyline since last Wednesday with Dan uh, apparently ready to sell the team. 
I don't know what we're going to get to, but we'll try something right after these words from oh, a few of our sponsors. Hold on. What? I always appreciate you coming on my show. Yeah, it's always great to be here with you. <laughs> and, and I love when you come on my show and you ask me what I want to talk about. <laughs> well, what do you want to do? <laughs> like, prepare well, for your show, Kevin. I did send you a list. I can tell you're exhausted. I, sent you, I sent you a list. I got the list. I haven't had time to do the I list. know, but don't act like I didn't give you a chance to talk about some of the that things. That was Wednesday's list. I had to cancel that day. Yep. Yeah. I know. Well, today was kind of... I want to talk about some NFL stuff. That's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about the NFL. We'll do that right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, Cooley is with us today, uh, and you said there are some NFL topics that you would like to bring up. So go ahead. The floor is yours. Thank you. I'm glad. I can't wait for the floor. Uh, I think I don't love this year in the NFL. been watching more football. I don't always love when there are two or three dominant teams, and there are not. But I also think it's a really interesting year. Like where we're sitting right now, mm-hmm. how in the world are the Jets where they are? Defense. And Robert Sala is doing a very good job running the ball, and they made a great trade for James Robinson. But the Jets, how in the world are the Seahawks where they are, and how in the world is Geno Smith playing such great football? Uh, and then you look at why are the Rams awful? Why are the Buccaneers, a team that really can't run the ball, can't stop their run. and I mean, it's not just Tom Brady. It's a really strange year, Kev. Well, I mean, the biggest... Oh, the Giants so good? The biggest name quarterbacks, Brady and Rodgers and Wilson, um, you know, in terms of the trade to Denver, you know, they're struggling. Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes aren't. Although Josh Allen's hurt, he may not play this weekend against Minnesota. The Seattle thing is the biggest surprise of this. There are a lot of people that thought the Jets were going to be improved. And Quinn and Williams has been dominant. They've, Sauce Gardner is not only the lock for, for defensive rookie of the year. I mean, he, he should be in the conversation for defensive player of the year. And they're well coached on defense. And, uh, it, but, but the Seattle thing to me, out of the, all of the teams, is the biggest stunner. More than the Giants? Yes. Yeah, because I... 
thought that the Giants had some talent on that team. And I always thought that there was still a chance for Daniel Jones if they, you know, had a decent coach. And Dable, what he did with Josh Allen, I'm not saying he's doing the same thing with Daniel Jones, but he's, you know, obviously getting got, gotten the most out of it. Seattle was predicted after they traded Russell Wilson to essentially be having a 2022 season that was a throwaway. Like this is, you know, they've got all these picks and over the next couple of years they'll you know, draft a bunch of players. Pete Carroll and company have done an incredible job. Shane Waldron's done an incredible job uh, with um, with Geno Smith. Kenneth Walker III is going to be the offensive rookie of the year. They drafted, you know, a, a big time offensive lineman in the in the kid Cross out of uh, out of uh, Mississippi State. I mean, to me, they're the like the Jets. A lot of people thought they could win a lot more games because of defense and if Zach Wilson stepped up. The Giants, I don't think anybody predicted them to be where they they are, but nobody thought Seattle. Everybody had Seattle dead last in the NFC West. Dead last. I mean, there's no doubt. Shane Waldron's the head coach next year. Ooh, right. Also, in some ways, you you know where Shane Waldron was. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Join join the uh, the big club. In the big club. The, the you know the the thing about Washington is it, over a seven year span, it, it was essentially head coach. You. It is. I mean, what? No, he was. What was his position here? I mean, he worked for Sean, right? He was a quality control guy. Yeah. And then he went to the Rams as the tight ends coach with Sean. And I think was promoted. To offensive coordinator when Lafleur left, right, and then to Seattle, right. But it was essentially head coach head coach you from two thousand and nine through two thousand and sixteen. Well, it was head coach you from yeah that's from the time Mike got here. Waldron was there in two thousand sixteen, as well as um, say his name Kevin O'Connell. Yeah, Kevin O'Connell. Right, Kevin O'Connell, part of that as well. I mean, every everything. <laughs> the amazing thing is, is and it's, you're not going to give Sean McVay credit for this with guys, in, but everyone that touched Sean McVay is essentially head coach. Yeah. Well, it's you know it started with Mike. You know, it's all all of these guys are off the Mike Shanahan right. tree. Do you want to know why it started with Mike? And I've had a deep dive into this, and maybe you and I talked about it. We did. We sat at your house and we talked about this. And I think this goes back, this is what's been explained to me in some ways by other coaches who I, who I trust. I, I was never going to get hired because coaches like other coaches that they can control, that, that just obey. Not that I wouldn't. But they like coaches that maybe aren't as smart to start their career and are not as, let's just say, it, not as charismatic. <laughs> if, like you, if you don't say so yourself. I don't want to brag about myself, but I'm pretty amazing. Yeah. So, I, essentially, that's what I've been told. I, I still think there's some other things to play here, but I'm not sure of them. Anyways, the point we really made is, Mike Shanahan didn't give a fuck. He wanted the best. Yeah. So he hired smart coaches. 
who would really push each other, who would really discuss things, who would really, I mean, really get after it. And I don't think people do that because they're afraid of the challenge of managing a coaching staff in that fashion. And because essentially when you hire really intelligent, go-getter, smart, charismatic coaches, they get new jobs fast. So when you hire that kind of staff, you better be ready to hire new staff within three years. Right. Which is also probably why Sean McVay struggled as much and in the last couple of years, because he's had to hire so many new staff. Right. Well, the, when you say you the last couple of years, he won, the, he won the Super Bowl last year. I know. But the up and down years, the year before, they, I mean, they've never been terrible. I'm not saying that, but it's got to be a struggle. When, what's he lost, three offensive coordinators in five years? Uh, Zach Taylor? Zach Taylor, uh, LaFleur, and O'Connell. Yeah. And Waldron. The, but in Waldron. Waldron went to Seattle. Well, he lost Waldron, who would have been an OC, who went right. to Seattle. Yeah, because he picked O'Connell over Waldron. And by the way, Russell Wilson really wanted Waldron, if you recall last year. I, I Yeah. We, Sean lost him. You basically have like literally like a quarter of the league, if not more, that have Shanahan coaching tree, and if you want to say McVeigh coaching tree. Coaches occupying head jobs around the league. I mean, in the NFC West, you've got Kyle and you have Sean. Uh, you've got Matt LaFleur in Green Bay. You have Kevin O'Connell in Minnesota. You have Mike McDaniel in Miami. Mike, Mike. You have Zach Taylor in Cincinnati. You have, um, you've got, what's his face, the defensive guy that was with Sean as the head coach of the Chargers, Brandon Staley. And if Shane Brandon Staley's with the Chargers, and if 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 Waldron ends up being a head coach next year, I mean, what did I just rip off? San Francisco Rams, uh, Minnesota Jets. Uh, uh, well, Robert Sala as a you know as a Kyle, as a Kyle guy. So um, that's basically going to lose one next year. That's eight teams. I just You're gave you twenty five percent of the league. I just gave you twenty five percent of the league are Shanahan, McVay, Kyle, coaching tree. Guys, all you know, all when you look at you know the the the, the beginning of the tree before the branches uh, come off of the the main stem, they they're, they all come from Mike. So, what you were saying about Mike is all he wanted were really smart people. He didn't give a fuck because he was totally secure in himself. Yeah, which is what any good businessman or or most good business people do. Anyone running a company. Mm-hmm. They want people that will challenge you mm-hmm. every day. Yep. Your job as a leader, as a head coach, is to have the have the cojones to say, I hear you, still doing it my way. Thanks for the input. And to maintain leadership over that. I mean, guys that don't hire smart people are essentially, in my opinion, afraid of their own leadership ability. Yeah. Or, or there's too much ego. It's ego. One or the other, but essentially it, it not hiring guys that really push the boundaries are your it's a recipe for failure. The other amazing thing about this coaching tree stuff, if you take the Shanahan and the Andy Reid, you're at half the league. Those are the uh, two coaches. Andy Reid will hire guys that he believes in and trust. Reid. So um Peterson. 
Oh, I guess Reich just got fired. Reich just got fired. Uh, John, 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 John Harbaugh was his special teams coach in Philadelphia. Right. Um, well, I mean, Ron Rivera coached for Andy Reid in Philadelphia. That was his first position coach job, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. And then Rivera had Sean McDermott coach for him, had uh, Steve Wilkes coach for him. I'm sure I'm forgetting somebody off the Andy Reid tree. I, now i got to pull up I the Andy. I know but it's just, it's just incredible. These two staffs, or these two coaches, who has been under them while they were head coaches? Here's the list for Andy Reid. You ready? So this is just a list yeah. to pull up. John Harbaugh, Doug Peterson, Ron Rivera. Sean McDermott, Brad Childress, he's not a head coach, Matt Nagy was, right? Leslie Frazier, Todd Bowles. How is Todd Bowles off the Andy Reid tree? Was he with Andy Reid in Philly or KC? Uh, Pat Shermer, Spagnuolo. Um, the guy for the Bills. McDermott. Yeah, you said McDermott, yeah. But, but McDermott coached for Rivera. He was the D.C. in Carolina, but that's still... Well, he was the D.C. in, he was the DC in Philadelphia, or he was a linebacker right, in right, right, Philadelphia right, right. before that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then then the last of it is, and really this is essentially newer, is the new Belichick tree, because Belichick for a long time kept his guy. Right. Well, Josh McDaniels but Brable, is terrible. Sirianni, Josh McDaniels is awful. Um, He's a good coordinator. He'll just go back to he'll just go back to New England. I got to pull up the Belichick tree. I mean, so Vrabel, you hit on that one. He's an excellent coach. Sirianni. Sirianni is off that. Okay, Joe Judge didn't really work the out. Jazz, the Jazz coach is off of it, right? Uh, Dable, yes, yes, right? No, is he is he Belichick? I don't. Or know. would that or would that or would we count that Andy Reid coming out of McDermott? I don't know. Whatever it is, it's such a boys' club. It's amazing. Oh gosh, dang! You know, on Mike, and I know that I'm a every. You know, I'm, I, I I love Mike, and I think he is deserving of the Hall of Fame. And and I, you know, the 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 argument against Mike Shanahan um, in the Hall of Fame has been that the two Super Bowls that he won were with John Elway and the the Super Bowl that he won in San Francisco as the offensive coordinator was with Steve Young. Well, I mean, you could do that with a lot of people not named Joe Gibbs. I mean, a lot of Hall of Fame quarterbacks won a lot of Super Bowls, but I just think that Mike's contribution as an offensive innovator with really being the pioneer and the developer, along with Alex Gibbs, of the zone run scheme um, is uh, I, I think Mike deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. I mean, Mike doesn't have, and I'm pulling it up because I've done this before, um, he doesn't have the regular season record that a lot of other coaches have. Like Marty's got a phenomenal, Marty Schottenheimer has a phenomenal regular season record, but he n- didn't, never even got to a Super Bowl. I mean, had terrible luck in the postseason. You know, the Elway drive, the Biner fumble. Um, but Mike was 138 and 86 regular season in Denver, and then it was 24 and 40 here. You know, here brought him down. And his overall playoff record was 8 and 5 in Denver, 
with the two Super Bowls. But I think it's not just what he did as a head coach in terms of that resume. It's the it's kind of the pioneering of, you know, a lot of what we watch in the NFL today. You know, zone run scheme, bootleg off of uh, off the zone run scheme. You know, a lot of that stuff with Shanahan and Alex Gibbs. I mean, Steve Young gives him credit for being one of the great pioneers of offensive football in, in history. No, I I agree. And here here's what's actually amazing as the run schemes in the NFL have continued to develop and and change off of the Shanahan stuff is unless they're real direct disciples of it and and I mean really committed to it. Nobody knows how to coach it like Mike or Kyle. Mm. I watch a lot of zone stuff, and it's coached poorly. People are not sure. And it's really because this is getting football-y. But when you really start coaching the zone run, it's it's almost everybody on a string, and you're opening up a little bit. You're, you're opening your hips a little bit to the sideline, and you're going more laterally to create stretch in the defense. So there's a gap for the running back to get through. And, and really the biggest thing is you're just essentially waiting. You're, you're asking a defense to make mistakes up front, play out a gap and we'll get a cutback. You're it's, it, it differs from the original or the, the, like the knowledge of, you know, we got to drive them off the ball. Right. It, it's, it almost contradicts the, we got to drive them off the ball and essentially zone run on the front side where you're running out, you can get pushed back a yard or a yard and a half, and the running back can still make a big cut because the D-tackle plays behind a gap. And I think that's hard for people who haven't seen it and been around it and coach it. Like, and, I, like Arthur Smith wasn't with Mike Shanahan, but he was with Joe Gibbs. Joe coached it a lot of it somewhat that way. And Arthur took some of the stuff, I think, from LaFleur and some of the – Shanahan stuff and mixed it with some of the Gibbs stuff, but he's a big zone run guy and he does a great job with it. Yeah. But it's also hard when you get quarterbacks that aren't essentially going to play under center more. It's not, you don't get the same flow at a gun because you don't get the running back stretching the track. So you don't get the displacement of the linebackers you want. So it is tougher at a gun. And now you're going to develop some new stuff because you can't just run zone at a gun and all these college quarterbacks coming in have only been in gun. And it's still more important, in my opinion, to have a quarterback feel comfortable than the way you run the ball. Right. You know, you just brought up something. So a big conversation off of the Minnesota game from a lot of the people that are listening to the show is Scott Turner isn't leveraging Taylor Heineke's strengths, which are as a guy that should be on the move. He should be out on the edge. Um, And so I want to tell you, what I said to this uh, about this after watching a lot of the all 22 from the game against Minnesota, I know, you know, everybody understands now you didn't watch it, but I think I can get this across to you. So you've made that clear. So, so they run out of the gun so much that first of all, one of the, you know, getting your quarterback out on the edge and getting him away from defensive pressure. Uh, he Cooley, he had four balls knocked down at the line of scrimmage throwing from the pocket on Sunday. Um, but to really run a lot of the keeper game, a lot of the bootleg game, 
the quarterbacks have to be under center. And they're not, he's not under center a lot. Now, on two bootleg calls in the game on Sunday, one was a fourth and in inches. Uh, you would have, uh, by the way, Rivera completely, just completely butchered the clock and challenges and the whole thing. It was a, it was a bad day for, for Ron Rivera managing the clock and timeouts. Um, but because they're in the gun, and by the way, they're in the pistol every once in a while, actually the pistol in some ways is almost easier than having a back next to you, I would think. I want your answer to this. But it's really hard to run the stretch zone that you're then coming back and bootlegging off of it if you're in shotgun. It is easier from under center, and they don't run a lot of under center. I don't know why that is. I don't know if it's because Taylor's more comfortable in the shotgun or Scott Turner likes running from the shotgun or the backs prefer to run from the shotgun. So that was number one as to why, you know, uh, perhaps they don't get them out on the edge on bootlegs, et cetera. They did run a zone read. They ran an RPO um, on a quarterback draw, he had the option of QB draw in third and nine, or they had a beautifully set up screen to Gibson as the as the pass option, and he took the QB draw option and got four yards. I think if he throws the screen, it's a big play. So there's there are probably some built in opportunities for Taylor that he's maybe not making the best decisions on. But number one was, and, and I've got another reason for you know not kind of changing the offense to suit Taylor's strengths in a second that I want to get to, but I want you to answer whether or not you think I'm on to something as it relates to especially getting him out on the edge. You can sprint out a little bit. You know, you you can sprint out from the shotgun and cut half the field off, but especially bootleg that there's not a lot of it because he's not under center. Yeah. If you really want to bootleg and go run action, the reason it's better from under center is because you can hide the ball. Right. There's a period of time when the quarterback turns his back and he's got the ball tight to his stomach and then the mesh of the running back that the ball becomes hidden. So there's some deception to the run action pass. In gun, the ball goes towards the running back's stomach, but there is no point in which the ball disappears. So essentially the backside defensive end who you need to in bootleg have collapse to play the run uh, because he's not blocked in the backside of boot most times. He sees it. Also, there's a different way you play some of the mesh handoff stuff, which is what it would look like with the bootleg. So if you really want to boot, you do need to go under center a lot more. Right. You did. You said sprint out, and it was funny because I was thinking about some of the sprint out stuff. Sprint out has essentially disappeared from the NFL. And he, let me guess the reason why. Because you're cutting the field in half. Correct. You are cutting the field in half. But sprint out becomes interesting. I mean, Gibbs used to. In my first couple years with Joe, we ran some sprint out. Joe had a lot of sprint out in his, in his game plan. Right. You, there's still a lot of things you can do with sprint out. And in, in sprint out, a lot of times, well, I like it for a couple of reasons. And you mentioned the reason I don't. is Let's say we get a coverage we don't like and to, to our right side or we have an overload. You'd almost need a kill or a can with the sprint out because you don't want to sprint out into two receivers that are blanketed. 
but I like sprint out in a lot of ways, especially when your offensive line struggles because it changes the launch point of the ball. It changes the quarterback's location. Now you don't get a rush to seven yards in the pocket. All of a sudden, your rush is, is altered for a defense. But there's definitely opportunities with sprint out to do some other things. You can screen back away from it. I mean, you can set up and, and have opportunities to throw crossers coming across if you don't sprint as hard. There, It's just, it's harder in the NFL, and I'm obviously I'm not. You don't see it as much, and I'm not calling plays, and I'm not trying to run it. But normally, when you get away from that something like sprint out as an entire league, then it it doesn't work. Well, you know, so everyone wants to sprinting out. Like, understand the whole league's gotten away from it. Usually, there's a reason when 32 teams don't sprint out. Well. When you see it, it's typically with a very young, inexperienced quarterback. Because I made this point earlier. I said, yeah, I guess they could sprint him out, but my guess is the reason they don't do it is they don't feel like Taylor can't read the whole field. Because if you go back to Dwayne with Scott Turner and a couple of those games in early 2020, especially against the good defenses, the Ravens in particular, the ball was coming out quickly. There were a lot of line of scrimmage throws, and there were a couple of sprint outs. And Dwayne's more of a pocket passer, but you know they didn't feel that he was ready at that point to read the whole field. Well, they do think, I believe, that Taylor can read the whole field, so Turner doesn't want to limit the offensive possibilities. The problem, though, is is they're not protecting well, and they're they're getting he's getting immediately rushed just like Carson Wentz did, and then because of his height from the pocket, he's having some some difficulty, you know, when the, when the rush is is getting there, and so I so there's one other thing, and I don't want to lose this train of thought. The other thing for because I thought in I thought last year that um, they should have. You know, once they knew Fitzpatrick was done early in the season, that they should have tailored the offense for Taylor. Like they should have created more dual threat stuff. You know, more zone read stuff. More in you know introducing Taylor as an eleven on eleven run game player as a potential runner. And my reason for saying that Scott Turner hasn't done that is the following. And I want again, I want your your thoughts on this. They designed the offense last year throughout the offseason through training camp for Ryan Fitzpatrick, and then he got hurt in the opener. And this year they designed it for Carson Wentz throughout the offseason, and then, you know, he gets hurt, you know, week six. And I just suggested, I don't know if this is true or not, it's really hard in October to then say to the entire team, we're, we're changing the offense up. We're going to go to more dual threat stuff. We're going to run a lot of pistol. We're going to run a lot of zone read. We're going to run some sprint outs. We're going to run some quarterback sweeps. It's hard to just implement kind of a new offense in the middle of the season. True or not? Well, if you haven't installed any of those principles or ideas in the early part of the year, it becomes tougher. But keep in mind, the zone read stuff and the RPO stuff, it fits what every single one of these guys did in college. It's not new. It was new when Kyle put it in in yeah. the NFL. It was different for us. They've all run these principles and concepts. Uh, my, my opinion on this, they didn't tailor an offense for anybody. The offense, when I watched Washington, wasn't different for Carson Wentz this year. 
and it wasn't different for Fitzpatrick a year ago, which then wasn't different for Heineke when he came in. It was, this is what Scott Turner runs, and this is who he is. I don't see him tailoring an offense for anybody. No, I, I, I agree with that. My point is, my point is, is that his offense maybe isn't a good fit for Taylor Heineke. Well, then to answer your point, I don't think he knows how to alter his offense or is not comfortable. Everyone knows how to, is not comfortable with it. Right. Well, I think he's going back to Wentz, by the way, after Monday night. I think Wentz, if he's healthy, he comes. He can come off. He's eligible to come off injured reserve uh, after Monday night's game. And I think Rivera uh, and Scott are going to want to go back to Wentz if he's healthy for the Houston game the following Sunday. I think Monday night is the yeah, last it, chance for Taylor. Well, and it may be, but if they find a way to win this game, there's I would not pull Heineke. No, I understand. But they're you know they're eleven they're, they're eleven point under. I don't care if he threw, I, I saw that. Yeah, I mean the Jets were ten and a half or eleven last week. Yeah. So yeah, uh, and things get weird in the middle of the season. They, they just do. It has especially over the last few years. There's some complacency towards the middle of the season in teams. So we'll see what happens. But if uh, if you put if Heineke finds a way to win the game, even if he's 13 of 20 for 152 yards and one touchdown and one pick or no picks, and they, they run the ball well, and he manages it, and they win the game. I mean, he's still your guy. Yeah, but what if he has I a... Haven't, I just haven't seen enough of Wentz over the last couple of years to say definitively he's going to be the answer when he comes back in. It wasn't when he left. That wasn't... I'm not saying that it would be the right move. I'm not advocating for it. I just think they they're, they they are going to be hell-bent to prove that they were right to trade for him. And I, I doubt there's going to be – personally, I don't think there will be any difference. Wentz or Heineke, it's the same thing. It's just not good enough. It's not good enough. All they have to do is say Dan traded for him. <laughs> yeah, but remember, he you know he was there on Thanksgiving uh, at the uh, Indy Combine um, going through all the analytics in the film, and he was the one that made the decision. I know, I know. All right, so why don't we, you know, reconvene on Monday, you know, and watch some football and be ready to preview the Eagles, all right? I'll be ready why don't you do to that? talk Eagles, which we didn't do, yeah. and we'll go Monday. All right, thank you. Uh, my Goodbye, smell, my friend. My smell test to finish up the show next. Kevin looks where the John Q. public is putting their cash and does the opposite. It's time time for the the smell smell test. test. All right, the smell test is brought to you by my good friends at MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.ag. Use my promo code, KevinDC. They'll double your first deposit all the way up to $1,000. I've told you this before, uh, guys, recently. Very few shops are offering this as a promotion. Take their free money. Why wouldn't you? Uh, It doesn't matter that you've got a primary place that you're betting through. Use MyBookie. Take the free money. And comparison shop with MyBookie whenever you're about to place a wager. Make sure you're getting the best point spread. Make sure you're getting the best price. If you're paying consistently well over minus 110 on a lost bet, you're overpaying. You know, MyBookie is fair on point spreads, on pricing, on money lines, and you're going to get paid if you win. Uh, I promise you this is a safe place, mybookie.ag. My promo code Kevin DC. You can't just take the free money and cash out. You got to wager with it. 
But once you, you know, have wagered all of what they've, you know, doubled your account with, it's then available to you. Uh, but you don't need it now. You know, just to have it as a backup place to go to to comparison shop on on spreads and totals and money lines and pricing. Uh, right now, Washington's an 11-point dog. They're plus 425 on the money line. I've already talked to a bunch of friends that really like Washington on the money line Monday night. Um, I love playing big underdogs on the money line in the NFL. Uh, for those of you that don't understand how that works, bet 100 bucks on Washington Monday night at my bookie, and you get $425 back if they win the game. If they lose the game, you only lose $100. A $10 bet, you win $42.50. You only lose 10 bucks if they lose. Uh, that's how the money line works. You're not betting with a point spread. You're just betting on the winner. Um, I don't like Washington to win the game, but I think I do like Washington plus 11. They're not, I will tell you, they're not in the smell test. Tampa Bay, by the way, is the early game, the Munich-Germany game, and it's not on ESPN Plus or Amazon. It's on NFL Network, fortunately. Uh, not that it was that difficult, although the ESPN Plus, I forget if we talked about this, was really a problem for me. I mean, it got hung up multiple times. I had to exit out, go back in. Amazon's been great. I did not like the ESPN Plus game uh, that they had uh, a few weeks ago, the Denver-Jacksonville game. This is the last of the Sunday morning games. There's a Mexico City game, I believe, but I don't think that's an early morning game. Uh, only the Europe games are early morning. I love it. You know, I love early morning football. It's great. You know, I get up, I make breakfast for everybody, scrambled eggs usually, cut up fresh strawberries. Um, that's a big part of my breakfast when I have time to make breakfast. Yeah, I usually go scrambled. Um, I like, you know, I, I love eggs over, you know, easy or eggs over medium as well. Uh, throw in some sausage or bacon and some whole wheat toast or an English muffin. We're good to go. Uh, coffee, OJ, sure, why not? Come on over uh, and watch some Tampa Bay and Seattle with me on Sunday morning. I will likely bet the Buccaneers. I mean, they're a two-and-a-half-point favorite as a four-and-five team against a surging six-and-three football team who's won four games in a row. It will be interesting to see whether or not Tampa Bay can get back to 500 here. Big spot for them. You know, Atlanta lost last night. They fall to four and six. And, you know, they take, uh, they, they would be in a tiebreaker situation in first place, win or lose, but get to five and five. And now all of a sudden the Buccaneers really look like the favorite, as they are anyway, um, but maybe a bigger favorite uh, to bounce back and have a better finish to the season. Uh, all right, let's get to the smell test. Seven and five last week. That puts me at 500 overall for the season. It is now a run of five out of the last six weeks. Winning weeks, or there was one 500 week uh, mixed in there. The one losing week was a big one, three and 10, understood. Um, but if you just joined me, uh, you know, over the last six weeks, you've had, you know, pretty much good weeks for all but one of those weeks over the last month and a half. I have no idea why Virginia's in my smell test again, because they're horrible. Like I've watched Virginia, they can't score, but they fit the smell test criteria. They're a major anti-public play against Pitt tomorrow, catching five and a half. I had them last week against Carolina. How bad must Carolina's defense be that Virginia scored 28 points against it? 
Uh, I had Pitt last week in the smell test, laying the uh, the number to Syracuse, and they won and covered. I had Virginia last week; they won and covered. Now they're playing each other. People love Pitt against Virginia. I'll take Virginia. It's the fourth time this year I've had them two and one on the first three games that I've had Virginia. Wahoo! Wah! Go Hoos! Plus five and a half against Pitt. I like K-State plus three at Baylor. Baylor's won three in a row. K-State's lost two of its last three, but against better competition. Uh, I'll take Kansas State. It's actually plus two and a half. I'm buying the half point there for plus three. Uh, This one's tough for me because I really think Oregon is an excellent football team right now. Bo Nix has really had a phenomenal year after that Labor Day blowout loss to Georgia. And that's the loss that's really going to affect uh, the Ducks uh, the rest of the way. I personally think they pass the eye test more than any of the other Pac-12 teams do. They're getting 13 and a half right now. I'm sorry, they're laying 13 and a half right now against Washington. That's a short number. Public loves Oregon. Plus, the public believes that Oregon's got to win on style points the rest of the way and really run it up. Washington can score. Buy the half point there and take the Huskies plus the 14. I like UCF plus one and a half at Tulane. Tulane's having one hell of a season. And then the last two college plays are plays, as my good friend Scott would call them, general principle plays. All right. They're general prince general principle games. Um, if you uh adhere to the contrarian um, anti-public uh, betting strategy, then there are two games that stand out more than any other on Saturday. Number one is a noon kick in Fayetteville, Arkansas off the loss to Liberty at home against LSU coming off that big win against Bama and moving up big time in the college football playoff rankings, controlling their own destiny in the SEC West to make it to the SEC title game if they can win out uh, games included in, in the, the rest of the way for LSU include Arkansas and Texas A&M. This line at three and a half just reeks. You know, neighbor Nick, remember him? Murray and I have the neighbor Nick theory. Your neighbor Nick's a big better, and he peers over the fence and says, because he knows you're a better, hey, Kev, explain to me how LSU is only a three and a half point favorite over Arkansas. It just seems wrong. No, neighbor Nick, it's not wrong. Uh, they want you to take LSU and lay the points. I'll take the Hogs plus three and a half. Uh, another general principle game, another neighbor Nick game. Neighbor Nick peers over the fence and says, hey, Kevin, this has to be wrong, right? Uh, TCU is undefeated. They're ranked four in the playoff rankings, and they're catching seven against Texas. They're a seven-point underdog. That's a misprint, right? Uh, no, neighbor Nick, it's not a misprint. Uh, Texas is actually a seven-point favorite over TCU. Yeah, hook them, horns. I'll take Texas and lay the seven. Those are the college games. All right, those are the college games. Let's move to the NFL board on Sunday. Um, the first game is Detroit and Chicago. I, I mentioned, I forget whether it was on the podcast or the radio show, Chicago has an excellent offensive line and really good backs, and their quarterback obviously is rushing for a ridiculous number of yards. Justin Fields last week set the regular season record with rushing yards in a game, 178. Um, They're laying three to the Lions this week at Soldier Field. 
Uh, I'm taking the Lions. The public loves Chicago. Chicago, I think I mentioned this earlier this week, after the Washington game where they scored only seven points, they have averaged 31.5 points per game, 31 and a third to be exact, over the last three. They're laying three. The public's all over Chicago. I'll take the Lions plus the three. Uh, One of the biggest public plays of the weekend is Kansas City laying nine and a half at Arrowhead Sunday at one against Jacksonville. I'll take the Jags plus the nine and a half. I always talk about these nine nine and a half and ten point spreads as numbers to really kind of just be concerned about if you like the favorite. And the reason is that a lot of people, you know, a lot of you guys play teasers uh, and three-team teasers where you're getting, you know, between nine and ten points on a three-team teaser. And it's the old all they have to do is win a line, which means, hey, I'm going to put the Kansas City Chiefs into a three-team teaser, and all they have to do is win the game, especially when it's nine and a half, ten uh, on three-team teasers. Then you've essentially got that team at a pick Be aware of those games. Do I like Jacksonville to win the game? No. Would I be shocked if that's the upset of the day on Sunday? I wouldn't be. I'll take Jacksonville plus the nine and a half. I know I had the Saints Monday night against the Ravens. It didn't work out. Uh, Take New Orleans again. They're laying a point and a half at Pittsburgh. uh, The public likes the home team. They don't think much of the Saints. I think the Saints are actually decent. They've got a really good defense. Um, Demario Davis is playing high-level football. They their their defense really does hit and tackle well. They're going to get after Kenny Pickett on Sunday. Uh, take the Saints and lay the point and a half. Um, Denver is catching two and a half, actually three at my bookie um, at Tennessee. Tennessee did not have a first down from early in the second quarter on against the Chiefs Sunday night, and still somehow Vrabel got that game into overtime. Amazing job. Uh, I think people were impressed with Tennessee. They'll probably get Tannehill back. They're laying three against Denver. Denver played well, and I think maybe they'll get it together here. I don't know. I'm going to take Denver. The public's all over Tennessee. I'll take Denver plus the three. And then the one that I think a lot of you are going to say, no, come on, Sheehan. Have you watched Aaron Rodgers play? Have you watched the Packers? You know, you just mentioned Virginia can't score. Green Bay can't score. They scored nine against the worst defense in football last week. Well, then why are they only getting four and a half against a Cowboys team that's really good? I'll take the Packers plus the four and a half. I don't know. I like the under, I guess, in that game. By the way, weather is going to be a factor this weekend for the first time in terms of cold. You know, you got some college games that'll be cold weather games this weekend. Buffalo and maybe the game of the day in the NFL, seven and one Minnesota against six and two Buffalo in Orchard Park, um, with perhaps Josh Allen not playing the game. Uh, but it's supposed to be 35 degrees with rain and snow showers and wind. Uh, so there, that that could be a factor in that game. Uh, it's going to be cold, really cold at Lambeau uh, on Sunday. Uh, so you got a lot of that going on uh, this weekend as well. Uh, so um, going through uh, the picks uh, one more time, starting on Saturday, uh, that being tomorrow, um, UVA plus five and a half. Uh, K-State plus three, Washington plus 14, UCF, that's the University of Central Florida, 
uh, plus one and a half. And then Arkansas plus three and a half, Texas minus seven. Sunday, the Lions, Jacksonville, the Saints, Broncos, and Packers. Um, A group of 11 this weekend on this November 11th. Veterans Day 2022. And on this Veterans Day, one last thing for all of you, because we have talked about the Salute Military Golf Association before, the SMGA before. Uh, The Salute Military Golf Association is a national 501c3 based right here in D.C. It rehabilitates post-9-11 wounded and injured veterans through the game of golf. Uh, Veterans go through a series of golf clinics with professionals. They receive brand new sets of fitted tailor-made clubs. The SMGA serves veterans in all 50 states and U.S. territories. If you want more information or if you'd like to make a donation on this Veterans Day, check out smga.org. That's smga.org. Great organization, and uh, I know a lot of people associated with that organization, uh, and it really does a lot for those post-9-11 veterans. All right, that's it uh, for the show today. Back on Monday with Cooley. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.